Thank you, Steve. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing good. All right. Put that off to the side. All right, here we are again, another Sunday. Welcome, welcome. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Um, we are still in our study of Luke. We are excitedly moving to chapter 2. Can you believe that? After all these weeks, <laughs> we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn there, if your phone, your Bible, there are Bibles in the seat pockets in front of you. I um, encourage you to follow along as we read Luke. Not everything's going to be on the screen, and so you'll want to follow along in the, in the Bible there. What's interesting about Luke, we've talked about Luke. I love Luke. Luke is such a great writer. He's such a great um, storyteller, and I'm speaking as, as Luke writing a story, not of fiction, but he's gathering all the facts. He's done all the research. He's interviewed all of these people, pulled all of this narrative together, and presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to us in a very powerful way, a very powerful way. Luke is interesting. Uh, unlike the other Gospels, Luke comes in, and Luke gives us a peek, more of a peek, at uh, the, the young life of, of Jesus, the, the early years of Jesus, more so than, than any other Gospel. you got Matthew comes in with the, the birth story and, and some stuff like that, but, but Luke gives us a picture. We're going to see him a couple days old. We're going to see Jesus a couple days old today. Uh, then we're going to see him a uh, little over a month old today, and there's a story about that. And then we're going to see him as he's 12 years old, probably next week as we continue to move along in this story. But Luke gives us more of a picture of Jesus' early years than really any other gospel narrative, and that's what we're going to look at today. Look at today. And uh, Luke, again, is doing this in just such a, a beautiful way, pulling this all together uh, really weaving together a story that, that complements the Old Testament as far as Jesus coming and fulfilling everything that we see in the Old Testament prophesied by the Messiah, who the Messiah was going to be, what he was going to do, what he was going to be all about. And Luke is bringing this all together, and we've talked about those bridges over the last couple of weeks. Now, as we're young, as, as we are young, some of us are farther along in the process than, than others, and we've got a wide range sitting in here today, uh, some young, some old, some in between. Uh, but as, as we're growing up, we, are all, we were all influenced by someone, right? We all have influences that, that feed into our lives, right? Uh, you probably even no matter what age you are, we're all influenced by someone. Now, as a young child, you can probably safely say that parents are got to be in the top five of influences on a child's life, if not higher. All right, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be generous and say top five. Top five. You've got teachers. You have coaches. Um, you've got friends. You've got media. And you've got parents and others who are influencing a child's life. And Jesus coming down, taking on flesh, taking on the, the form of uh, a human, sitting and, and walking with creation, going from the process of being a baby to being an adult, Jesus is going to have people who influence his life. Today we're going to talk about Jesus' parents. We're going to talk about Mary and Joseph and a little bit of their influence on Jesus' life. Uh, at the end of um, the... Uh, 
uh, at the end of the section we're looking at today, uh, past where we're going to look at today, um, it says in uh, verse 39 of Luke chapter 2, when they had completed everything according to the law, and that's going to be important, we're going to look at that today, uh, law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up, this is Jesus, the boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. A few verses later, at the end of chapter 2, after they've had another uh, Jerusalem adventure, uh, it says in verse 51, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. This is Jesus being obedient to his parents. Uh, His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with people. How does one grow up strong and filled with wisdom? Part of it is the influences we have on our life, right? Now, Jesus is coming down, and Jesus is unique because Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. But here we see Jesus submitting himself to family, family structure, growing, growing in wisdom. He became strong, filled with wisdom. He increased in wisdom, it says, and he increased in stature and favor with God and with people. I don't think we can discount the influence that Jesus's parents and other family members would have had on his life as he was growing up. You know, someone once said, show me your circle of friends, show me the people around you, I will show you where you are headed, right? And maybe we've experienced that where um, if we've had positive influences in our life and it just looks like the road is positive, laid out just positively in front of us, negative influences in our life, it may draw us away a little bit. So a child's first influence is usually their parents, right? It makes sense, right? You're born, you go home, with your parents, and good, bad, you know, there's, there's influence on both sides, good, bad, um, and so I think that Jesus' parents influenced him in a very profound way, and we're going to look at that today. One of the things we want to consider as we're going through the scriptures, and we're going to talk about parenting a little bit today, we're going to talk about relationships, but specifically framed as parenting, all right, and, and talking about Jesus' parents and the example that they set for him. But one of the things we talk about, want to talk about with Scripture is the idea of principle versus promises. All right, we see a Scripture like uh, Proverbs 22, and this uh, translation says, Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. All right, train a child up in the way he should go. There's another translation, and he will not, uh, as he grows, he will not depart from it from that. So there's, there's this idea of principle versus promises. Principle versus promises in Scripture. And this Proverbs 22 is a great example of that. Basically saying that, you know what, if you do this thing, all right, start a youth out on his way, train up a child in the way he should go, start pointing him in the right direction. The principle of life is that, you know what, he, he or she starts moving, has the opportunity to move in that direction. Sometimes we take it as a, a promise, and we're, we're confused, and we wonder, God, I thought I did everything right, but you know what? Life happens, right? We live in this world, and life happens, and so the principle being, hey, if you build into a child, it opens up the path for them to move down in its right direction, but life happens, and it's not a, a promise 
necessarily that just because you did everything exactly right that bad things won't happen in someone's life, someone that you love in their, their life. So as we're talking about Mary and Joseph, we also want to frame it as these are principles. These are principles. And life happens. Life happens. You can have a child who comes from a terrible childhood and they actually are able to move in the right direction and prosper and, and, and what we would say succeed at life. You can have some, a child who grows up in the greatest home possible and still events or whatever situations happen in their life and they get turned away and things happen and they just start heading down a path that we wouldn't like them to head down. I don't know if we probably all had this kind of experience um, in our lives. But I want to talk about three things today uh, as we look at Mary and Joseph, three things today that we can start to do today to not only become better parents, but become better in our relationships. And these are things that we can take ownership in, all right? We're, we're going to kind of set aside the, well, if onlys, if only I would have grown up in this home, if only this would have happened to me, if only I had this job. We're going to talk about a couple of things today that we can do to help better not only our, our, our own, if we're parents or maybe grandparents or maybe your aunts and uncles and you have children who are in your lives and you have a, a chance to influence them, but, but also just relationships in general and how we relate to other people as well. So let's read together. Our scripture today is going to be Luke 2, 21 through 24, as well as verse 39 through 40. And we're going to pop that up on the screen. I think we've got that. And as we're reading the word of the Lord, how about we stand together? Let's stand together and let's read these verses together. All right, here we go. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. All right, you may be seated. Very nice. So, let's talk about Mary and Joseph a little bit today. As we continue to dive into the, the story, Jesus' story. First and foremost, we see that Jesus' parents are righteous parents. They are righteous parents. We see, we saw this in Luke 1, around verse 38, as Mary's having this encounter with the angel. God is coming to speak through this angel to Mary to tell her the details about Jesus, who he was going to be, uh, the blessing that he was going to be, uh, the Messiah come to earth, and she is going to carry the Messiah and give birth to this Messiah, and we see her response in Luke 1, 38. She says, see, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have 
said. We see a mother here who believes. We see a mother here who believes. We see a father, an earthly father. Now, Joseph is not technically the father of Jesus, right? Conceived by the Holy Spirit. But, Je- but Joseph was going to be the earthly father, the earthly fatherly example, was going to raise Jesus as his own. And we see Joseph himself is called a righteous man. We see this in the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel, uh, Matthew 1, 19 through 20. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Joseph found out what had happened, right? I mean, that, that she was expecting, all right? And uh, he's, he does not know what to do. Uh, the Jewish law in relationships and marriages was very, very strict. They were engaged. Engaged meaning they were basically married. In order to get out of the engagement, um, they would have to divorce And he says, but after he had considered these things, this is the plan that he came up with in order not to to shame her or to shame his side of the family. Uh, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And he changes his path, takes her really, takes her as uh, his wife and is dedicating himself to raise Jesus as his son. But we see here in verse 19, Joseph being a righteous man. He wanted to follow the law. He wanted to protect Mary. He wanted you know, to, to do what was right. Joseph being a righteous man. So here we have two parents who are righteous parents. And they're going to do a couple of things here in Luke chapter uh, 2, verses 21, that kind of play this out a little bit more. All right? And so this is what we're going to look at today. First and foremost, we see that Jesus' parents, they obey the angel's command, right? We're going to take a peek at that. In verse 21 of Luke chapter 2, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. So they actually give Jesus the name that the angel said to them, okay, you're going to name him Jesus, and actually walk in that process and give him the name Jesus. These are parents who uh, gave their son his appointed name. And this may seem like a very small thing to us, but I think it has big, big implications here. Could Mary and Joseph have refused this command and said, you know what, I really like Joseph, I really like your grandfather's name, uh, and I think we want to use that instead. After thinking about it for nine months, you know, I would really like to name this baby ourselves and keep him in line with our family and our family tradition. Could they have refused this command to name Jesus something else? They're human. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. How many times has God spoken to us in some form or fashion, and we decide, not right now, or I want to do something different, or that just doesn't feel right to me. Sure, they could have refused this command. All right, how, as they walked through life then, how could they have taught Jesus? If they would have named him something else, how could they have taught Jesus how to honor God unless they were willing to model that in their own lives of actually stepping out in faith, honoring God, obeying his commands, doing what he asked them to do? How would they have been able to model for Jesus, how to honor God. 
as he was growing up. Imagine that each time they called out Jesus' name or someone else called it out, you know, that they're reminded of God's purpose and plan and Jesus' path in life. It was a reminder to them. They probably would have remembered the angel's great call on their family as they walked faithfully in this little act of naming Jesus, Jesus, giving him the name that God had um, told them to give him. During this, this time period, they're in the second temple period. Okay, we're going to call this this second temple period for the nation of Israel. This is the time that they live in, all right? During this time, families started to name children after family instead of circumstances, instead of expectations, instead of hope, all right? We see in the Old Testament, uh, naming was very, very important, right? For a family, and you had a baby, and naming was very important. Often, there was an expectation that was associated with the name, right? This is going to happen. This is who you are going to be. This is what life is going to uh, look like for you. And they would name someone after a hope and expectation, something that was going to maybe come, uh, uh, come in fulfillment in this, this child's life, all right? But during this second temple period when Mary and Joseph were living, uh, families started to name children after family. All right, we, we name children after family, right? I mean, how many here are, have some sort of connection to, to family in the past or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Um, and my, my grandfather's name was Nick, my dad's name was Nick, and my name is Nick. You know, we, this is what we do, too, so we can relate to this, that there's a draw to, to naming someone after someone important in our family, and this is what they did. Part of it is because they're, they're scattered the nation isn't as whole as it used to be. They're under an empire rule, all right? And so they're, the, the records are scattered. They don't have the connections to the past like they did. And so they're trying to create connections in their family. And it's just, you know, it just kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah, he's going to be named after the grandfather or after your father or after whatever it may be to keep that family line sort of going. We see that both John, John the Baptist, and we see that Jesus, the, the way they were named, takes them out of this category of, of cultural practice at that time of naming children after your family. This is why John, when John the Baptist is born, and uh, Zechariah can't talk, and the, the neighbors and the friends and neighbors ask the mom, hey, what are you going to name this child? And, and the mom says, oh, we're going to name him John, and, and the, their, their response is, Why? You have no one in your family who's named John? Th this, is what, this is what they're asking, right? Why are you not following tradition? Why are you not following the cultural practice of our day? And we see both John and Jesus removed from that, and they're given names that are, are promises and, and hope is tied to it. John means God is gracious. And they're going to see the grace of God coming down in their nation. Jesus, God is salvation, Right? We, we know, we've studied the scriptures, we know what Jesus is going to bring. Salvation to the world. Right? Jesus' parents were not afraid to answer God's call on their lives, to hear his voice, to respond and be faithful even in the little things. I don't think that's insignificant. Right? When we're responsible and we're faithful in the little things, does that set us up to be responsible and faithful in the big things as he asks us to do more and more and more? 
okay? If, if, if uh, the angel had come down to, to Mary and said, guess what? You're going to have a son. This is going to be great. And he's going to be crucified on a cross. Isn't that wonderful? And through that, he's going to save the world. What would Mary's response have been? Maybe I don't really want to have any part of this. Mom's heart seeing her son on the cross. This is something that she's going to have to walk through. We, we know she's at the foot of the cross seeing her son up there. But here we see they were faithful to walk in these little things, building them in their lives. And I don't think that's insignificant. I don't think that's insignificant. How faithful are we in walking through the little things that God gives us, the, 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 the ways that he speaks to us and asks us to, to step out, take a step, move in a certain direction. Are we faithful to walk in those little things? We see the example of Mary and Joseph, and they are faithful right off the bat to step out in faith and say, you know what, this is what God has asked us to do. This is what God has told us to do. We are going to do it. We are going to do this. We see Jesus' parents hearing the voice of the Lord through the angels and then obeying. We also see that Jesus' parents obeyed God's law, his written word. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was, the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, so verse 22, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, uh, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Mary and Joseph were also faithful in living out what is written in the word of the Lord. And that's important. God has given us his word, his direction, guidance for us to live a holy life. And Mary and Joseph walked righteously following the word of the Lord. Now, Mary and Joseph were under the old covenant. They were, they were following the Mosaic law because the new covenant had not been fulfilled yet through their son, Jesus Christ. But they are faithful to walk in that. Their actions, what they're doing here in this section of Scripture is rooted in the Mosaic Law, and we find it in Leviticus 12. And this was their holy Scriptures. Uh, it's going to be kind of small up there, but uh, Leviticus, Leviticus 12, it's way back at the beginning of the, the Bible, um, in the, the, uh, the Mosaic Law. Uh, and it says this, let's, let's just read this, a couple of verses here. This is what they were following. This is what they were doing. As they are stepping into <coughs> up to the temple, this is what they are, this is why they are doing it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites, when a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a male child, okay, this is, they've got a male child, she will be unclean seven days, as she is during the days of her menstrual impurity. The flesh of his foreskin must be circumcised on the eighth day. Here we go. What are they doing? They are going to get Jesus circumcised, all right, on the eighth day, following the law. 
She will continue in purification from her bleeding for 33 days. She must not touch any holy thing or go into the sanctuary until completing her days of purification. So here we have eight days for Jesus, then to be dedicated. And then we have another 33 days for Mary to walk through this purification process. If she gives birth to a female child, she will be unclean for two weeks as she is during her menstrual impurity. She will continue in purification from her bleeding for 66 days. Don't ask me why. Boys, eight days, 33 days. Girls, 14 days and 66 days. All right? Uh, this, is, this is what God had laid out for them to follow. Verse 6 in Leviticus 12, when her days of purification are complete, whether for a son or daughter, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meetings. Remember, uh, during this time, uh, the tabernacle hadn't been set up. The temple hadn't been built yet. They were, they were meeting at what is called the tent of meeting. All right, and they were, they were putting together the tabernacle, and this, this would go with that as well. Um, they're, they're to come with a year-old male lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. Male lamb for the burnt offering. They're going to they're gonna offer up two offerings here to God is what they're going to offer here as they go to the temple. Um, a male lamb for the burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove. One pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, but it was called a purification offering. Okay, a purification offering. He will present them before the Lord, this is the priest, <clears throat> and make atonement on her behalf. She will be clean from her discharge of blood. This is the law for a woman giving birth, whether to a male or female. All right, so after you had a child, you wait, you work, walk through this purification process, you go to the temple, and you're going to offer up this sacrifice. Verse 8 but if she doesn't have sufficient means for a sheep, she may take two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Sound familiar to Luke there? And one for a burnt offering and the other for the purification offering. Then the priest will make atonement on her behalf and she will be clean. Here we see Mary and Joseph walking through the law of the Lord. The law that had been given to them as a people, as God's people, uh, they're walking through this. They take, they take him up for the uh, circumcision ritual. This was a sign that the child was under the covenant given to God, uh, given by God to Abraham. Basically, this son is part of the family. He is part of the nation. He is one of us. He is one of us. He is literally sealed as a child of God, as part of the nation of Israel. Verse 23 in Luke chapter 2 says, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, there it is. And Luke keeps pressing this, keeps pressing this. In the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. So not only does, does Jesus go to get circumcised to, to really bring him into the family, include him in the, the nation of Israel as God's chosen people, because he's a firstborn male, he's also dedicated to the Lord. He's given to the Lord in a very special way. Remember when, when God was delivering his people out of Egypt? Maybe you remember this story. As, as uh, he was going to deliver them out of the nation of, uh, of Egypt, and they're, they're going to be coming out in a very dramatic way, 
Um, one of the last plagues uh, upon the land was what? God was going to come sweep in and kill the firstborn of those who were not covered in blood on the post, the doorpost of the house. And so you had the nation of Israel who was in their little section, like think of the ghettos of Egypt, and they're there. And the, those, as a faithful people, each family put blood on the doorposts made a sacrifice, put blood on the doorpost, and, and the, the angel of the Lord moved past their house, moved past their house. And the Egyptians who did not have blood covering their doorpost as a sign, as a sign that they were uh, looking to God, uh, the angel of the Lord killed the firstborn child in all of Egypt. At that time, God also laid claim to the firstborn in the nation of Israel as his own. They were called out for him. And so here we have Mary and Joseph. Jesus is going to be circumcised <clears throat> according to the law, brought into the family of God, included in that family, and he's also going to be dedicated to the Lord as the firstborn child, dedicated to the Lord for God's work, God's purpose, God's plan. And we're going to see Jesus fulfilling that in a very powerful way. We are all benefactors of Jesus's life and how he uh, took his calling seriously in his plan, God's plan and purpose seriously. So here we have, after eight days, they take Jesus to be circumcised. And then after 33 more days, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be dedicated to the Lord at that temple. All right? This is a time when the purity laws and ritual cleansings, they were extremely important in these people's day, uh, daily activities. Extremely important. Uh, we're watching the, the series The Chosen right now as a family. And uh, it's interesting. They, they do a, a lot of interesting things in there. And uh, last night during the episode that we were watching, uh, we see and, and the disciples are walking around town by themselves and they're about to eat some food. And they just make a comment about, whoa, you didn't wash your hands properly. One of the disciples to the other, you know, we've got to wash your hands. It was very serious business, keeping yourself pure and clean and dedicated to the Lord so that you were a pure people. Very serious business. It's actually interesting. As God gave them the, the laws, the Mosaic laws, we often think about it as, as like our ladder to get to God. All right? We do these things to get to God. If I'm good enough, I do everything right. I, I can make my way up that ladder to get to God. The reality of those Mosaic laws was so that God could be amidst his people. God could come down and would be in the midst of his people as uh, his holy people. It wasn't so much about, hey, we have to climb this ladder, do everything we can do to get to God, to try our hardest to get to God. No, this was like God saying to his people, I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence, but I am a holy God. I can be only be in a, in a holy, pure atmosphere, and I want to be with you. This is what the temple, the temple was called the, footstep, uh, the footstool of God, right? Literally, his footstool on this earth. This is where his feet were planted amongst his people, and they just needed to follow the, the, the laws that he had set up so that they could be a pure and holy people. It wasn't so that we could try to climb our way and scratch and claw to God. This was all about God being here with us, being in fellowship 
with his people. But these were extremely important laws. Mary and Joseph would have had to offer, like we said, two different sacrifices as, they, as she was working her way through this, this um, purity ritual after giving birth to her child. One's called the burnt offering for sin, all right? And, and uh, we, we got to, you know, look at this and say, well, what did Mary do? How did Mary sin giving birth to a child? She didn't. This is not a sin uh, in, you know, in a marriage to get pregnant, to carry a, a pregnancy, and then to have a baby. That was not a sin. But what this is stating, what this is showing, that our natural sin nature separates us from God. And, and being a, a creation that, that chose sin over God separates us from God. And that's, that's our nature. That was our state. And so you would have these, ritual, these rituals, these sacrifices, uh, because, just because of our sin nature and, and our natural propensity to separate ourselves from God. But we see here that uh, this family takes the law of the Lord seriously and walks in it, walks in God's commands to keep themselves pure, to keep themselves righteous, to keep themselves holy so that they can be in fellowship with God. One of the offerings that they would have offered up would have been like a peace offering. Literally, we are at peace with God. God is at peace with us. Our relationship is right. Our relationship is right. If I'm friends, you know, with you guys in the room, hey, we're at peace with one another, right? Our relationship's good. There's no conflict between us, all right? And so if we had a conflict between us, we're not going to go offer sacrifices anymore, but if we had a conflict in between us, we got to get that resolved, right? Come to one another. Talk it out, you know? Apologize. Ask forgiveness. Whatever is required to get the relationship back to, together to be at peace with one another. They're going to offer up a sacrifice to be at peace with God, to show that their relationship was right with God and God was right with them there whole lot of stuff that was going to go into this, this process. You see, a mom, she's got to wait. At the end of, of waiting those 33 days or so, she's going to take a special bath, all right? This was a private thing, not, not in the temple or whatever. This is a private thing. She probably had an attendant. She's going to take a bath. And it was so, uh, you know, it had to be done just right and correctly. Go in the bath. I read commentary that said you couldn't even have the hair floating. couldn't have her hair floating on the top of the water. Everything had to go under as a sign of going under and coming back up again. This reminds us of baptism and the act of baptism that we go through. We go under, representing the dying to our sin, sin nature coming up clean and, and pure and, and fresh in our relationship with God. So we see a mom, a mom, who's unclean because of giving birth and literally just the discharge of blood that happens in childbirth. And as a result of her state, uh, as a result, her state of holiness is temporarily suspended, all right? She can't go to the temple. She can't offer a sacrifice. She can't go into the holy places, okay? In order to get back to the state of holiness afforded to all of God's people, she first must become ritually clean, um, because as an unclean person, she can't go, like I said, into the, the, the holy places of the temple. Once she's waited and she's clean again, she's taken that bath, that special bath, she's now authorized to, to bring the sacrifice 
that uh, allows her to regain her holy status before God. There are no shortcuts in this. There are no shortcuts in this process to become right with God. And as I'm looking at that, as I'm seeing them faithfully fulfill the word of the Lord, I'm just thinking, this, folks, is why we need Jesus, right? Imagine us sitting under all of these laws day after day, walking through these ritual, uh, these purity rituals, purification process daily, being reminded of our, our sin nature and, and all the things that we need to do to be right with God. This is why we need Jesus, because we can't do this. We can't fulfill everything that's required of us. Imagine this, this temple and the, the daily life. You've got sin, and then you've got blood sacrifice that has to be given. Sin and burnt offerings. Sin and peace offerings. All the time, daily, this is happening at the temple and at the holy places in order for them to be God's pure and righteous people. This is why we need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. Imagine, if you will, this is what we had to do here at church. You guys all had to bring a lamb in today. Right? You guys, can you guys go get a lamb? Bring a lamb. And we'd have to have something different than this table because uh, we're going to start sacrificing and slaughtering the lambs. And there's, you know, I don't know, there's 80 of us here, 60, 80 of us here. Imagine 60 to 80 lambs like every single Sunday coming in and, and sacrificing them right here. I once saw a preacher do a, uh, a, a sermon series through Leviticus. He actually launched his church going through Leviticus, which is fantastic. Go through Leviticus, and one of his illustrations, he had one of his guys from the church stand up just in, in like priestly robes. And during the whole sermon, this preacher just kept handing him beef and meat, raw meat. And he kind of put some on his shoulders and, you know, just kind of rub it on the chest, just illustrating what this was like to, to, to walk through all of this law and how they were reminded constantly of their, their nature, the separation from God, God's call to them to be a holy people, and what it took to do that. And then we have Jesus. And now we have Jesus. This is why we are finding Jesus in this series because there's only one sacrifice that will close the books on this ritual forever. It's going to come through Jesus. So here we see a, a faithful family. They hear God's word and they obey it. We see a faithful family. They read God's word and they obey it. I said we're going to do three things today. Just briefly, we see Jesus' parents faithfully serving where they were, in the state they were in. Luke 2.24 says this, and to, and to offer a sacrifice, this is the sacrifice that they're going to offer to the Lord, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. According to Leviticus, they did this because they were poor. They couldn't afford the lamb. They couldn't afford the lamb. They could only afford the turtle doves or the young, two young pigeons instead of actually offering up a lamb as their sacrifice. They were 
poor. Sometimes we get into the state of mind, if I just had more, if I just had more, if I just had this, if I had the better job, better life, better family, better car, better whatever it is, if I just had this, man, then I would start really moving. Then my family would be all right. Jesus' parents provided for Jesus what was most important for him, faithfulness to the Lord, and it didn't matter their circumstances. I could imagine, I could imagine, I can imagine this because, you know, we've, we've got a bunch of kids in our house, and there are times in my life that we just didn't make a whole lot of money. I don't know if anybody here can relate in that, where you just didn't make a whole lot of money, which puts us in the food uh, stamps category, all right? And we've been there. We've done that. You know what's not fun? Not fun, not enjoyable, walking up to those checkout lines and, and pulling out those kind of things. Because what do you do? You feel like people are watching you. It's not fun. It's not fun. Here we see Jesus' parents walking up to the line and buying their poor person's sacrifice. They may have had stares. They may have had people looking at them. They may have felt a little bit of shame because of the, where they were. I, man, I wish, I wish we could provide, I wish we could get that lamb, I wish we could, you know, whatever it is. But we see them serving no matter where they were, no matter what state they were in. We see Joseph is a carpenter. He's got a good work ethic. He's going to train his son up, Jesus, to be a carpenter as well. And we see Jesus working most of his life as a carpenter. You know, they, they worked. They worked. This is the state they were in. They were faithful. They were faithful where they were. They were faithful where they were, and they're going to provide for Jesus the most important things in life. And it's not material. Now, taking care of our kids is extremely important. It's extremely important. This is something I want to do. I think God calls us to do that. If we're parents or grandparents or we've got kids in our lives that we influence and we're helping to, to raise, that's very, very important. But it's not the end. It's not the end. We, we pray for the CEF clubs because kids are coming to the schools and they're hearing the word of the Lord the gospel of Jesus Christ, and walking in that, this is what we can give our children. The faithful example, walking in the way of the Lord, this is what we can give our children. It doesn't matter how rich or poor we are, hearing God's voice, following God's commands, and walking in that is something that we can all do. King Solomon has a couple of words. There's lots of stuff about money in the scriptures. King Solomon gives a couple of words uh, about, uh, about money. Proverbs 28 says this, better the poor person, it's better to be a poor person who lives with integrity than the rich one who distorts right and wrong. Now, he also writes Ecclesiastes in 4.13, better is a poor but wise youth than an old foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. Money's not bad. It's not evil. It's not good. It's not evil. It's what we do with it, right? It's, it's, it's like any other resource. It's what we do with it. It could be great. We can do great kingdom work with it, or man, we can build our own kingdoms with it. Agar had a prayer in Proverbs 30. He says this, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food that I need. This is what we see Jesus doing. What, is he, what does Jesus say is his food? Doing the will of his Father. 
Jesus walked in this. Jesus' parents walked in this as well, as an example. And as we wrap up, we see when they had completed everything, in verse 39, chapter 2, they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord. They, they did everything that they needed to do according to the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. I think Jesus probably grew up in a pretty good home, a home that cared for him, a home that couldn't provide every worldly advantage to him, but a home that cared for him. And I think Jesus' parents had a huge influence on his life. And we see them walking faithfully in the small things. We see them hearing God's voice, walking in the small things faithfully. We see them reading and obeying God's commands for them, walking faithfully in that. And we see in his result is as he grew, he grew in wisdom and favor. Going back to Proverbs 22, start a youth out on its way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. It's a great principle to try to follow. And we see that they obeyed God. They modeled faith in God. They modeled a lifestyle that followed God and his ways and commands. And they modeled a lifestyle of service as well. It's never too late to start. And you may be thinking, you know what? This is great. This is not how I grew up, or you don't know my home, or whatever it may be. But it's never too late to turn things around. And so as we talk about how Jesus' parents parented him and helped him to grow, what we've addressed today are things that we can do to turn around our own families. We don't have to know anything about human development or child development or child growth theories, or whatever it may be, the best way to, to train or discipline or whatever it is for a child, where do we find how to relate to one another, how to help one another grow, how to help one another prosper and, 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 and follow God's commands? Well, we find it here, and we hear it because we are filled with His Spirit, right? It's never too late to turn things around. If we're a parent, it's never too late to turn things around. If we're uh, someone, we, when we see a parent or parents who are struggling, it's never too late to come beside them and say, how can I help you? How can I help you? Now, I will preface it with this. It's not always a great idea to come beside them and say, hey, you know, if you would only do this, then your child would start to behave. No, 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 let's, let's not do that. Let's come beside those who are struggling and say, how can I help you? How can I walk beside you in this? If you're a child or you've grown up in a home that, that wasn't ideal and it didn't set you out on the right path, it's never too late to change. And through God's power and through God's grace, we can release things and let things release from our lives because we are His children living under His grace, following His commands for our life, hearing the voice of the Lord ourselves. Maybe there are some things that we need to release to the Lord and say, Lord, I give this to you, and it wasn't ideal, it wasn't great. Right, you know, it really set me down the, right path, or the wrong path, but, but God, I'm going to give this to you. And it's not going to be my identity anymore. It's not going to be who I am. I am not a child of sin. I am a child of God. 
and I'm walking in faith because of that. Again, we see Jesus' parents hearing God's voice and following, even the little things, obeying God's word that was given to them, his commands that were given to them, and serving where they were, no matter what, being faithful where they were. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. And just as you grew in wisdom and stature and favor, we too want to continue to grow in our own lives. I pray, Lord, that we would find our identity in you, that we would seek to be faithful children who hear and and see your commands and then walk in them. Let us not uh, let the trappings of this world distract us and discourage us because we may not have as much as someone else or we may not have the resources of someone else, but you've called us to where we are. You asked us to be faithful and to walk in that. Lord, I pray that that is our heart's desire today, to faithfully serve where we can. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.